Today, I'm very proud and privileged to be talking to David Tate, MBE. He is currently the CEO of the Gold Council. He is trustee and ambassador for the NSPCC, who are also our chosen charity. And for this charity, David has climbed Mount Everest five times and raised over one and a half million pounds. In our Real Talk and podcast with David today, we get insights into the gold market. We also talk to David about his personal life in a very open way. And then we move on to his views on COVID and the effects that's had on the economy so far. I hope you enjoy this. Stay safe. Good luck. Hello and welcome to Real Talk with Terry and the team. Our new podcast series brought to you by Terry Bell, chairman of debt strategist firm Bell & Company and foreign property debt specialist EU Property Solutions. Terry is known for his straight-talking and no-nonsense approach. So if you want real and current business talk, you've come to the right place. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome uh, David Tate, MBA. Good morning. Good afternoon to you, David. How are you? Very fine, thank you. Very good. Very, Very hot. good. Very hot. It's warm here, but not that warm. I know you're getting it pretty bad in the south there. But uh, David, I have to write, excuse me, I've had to use the list because you've got so many achievements and so many roles you have in your life. So I do have to refer to that. I think you, the, the uh, thing that pays the bills at the minute, you're the CEO of the Gold Council. Um, very importantly, and our association to you with it is through the NSPCC. You're the trustee there, uh, and admit, um, sorry, ambassador. Um, in terms of your involvement with the NSPCC, when we heard your story, that's when we got involved uh, about four years ago. Um, in your life, you've overcome huge obstacles, not least in your childhood, and uh, then in which I only picked up in your in your film in your early early adulthood, particularly. And because you've had such a compelling, not necessarily compelling story, that would be the wrong phrase, but it compels you to watch the film, your story, the, the film that's, that is Sulphur and White, which is, uh, I think it was released earlier this year, David, eventually, after all the cuttings on the floor. It was absolutely released in February. Okay, and how's, how's that gone? I know, obviously, had COVID would have interrupted the, 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 uh, the airings of the film. Um, well, we uh, obviously were all a little bit let down when uh, Boris shut down the cinemas, but at that point we'd managed to uh, release in nearly every 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 man cinema, which was a, a great feat of achievement for us. But I'm frankly yeah. expected to see it in in such a mainstream um, forum. The problem is that uh, you know we were just about to be picked up by Odeon and broader broader screens when they shut down. But in many ways, you could argue that being transferred to digital and immediately onto the platforms, which we had to accelerate, could have been quite fortuitous because you, you, you just really didn't know whether you were going to have yeah. exposure. So suddenly we found ourselves pitching against uh, to uh, Netflix, to Amazon, to all the major platforms, and we've managed to achieve exposure on every single one, with the exception so far of Netflix. For Peculiar, we, we can't really fathom out why we haven't done that. We're, and funny enough, only today did we reapply to become part of the Netflix family, which is useful. Right. Useful in as much as it's a global platform. And that's the difference. Yes. And, uh, but frankly, we're on everything, and we just secured an airline deal as well. Um, and we're, I'm hoping it's it's not an exponential-style bond uh, takeoff. No. It's far more a slow burn that I hope becomes um, embedded in inventories over time. And you've attended uh, mostly premieres when you've got, I know we saw you in Belfast that evening on a snowy evening yeah. in Belfast. You've been going, doing the tour. 
Every single one, every single cinema that, that showed it, I was there. And um, I managed to give a speech before and after to give it context and also an explanation afterwards and see if anybody was still talking to me afterwards. That was always an interesting uh, litmus test. But, uh, yeah, the, the main premiere in London was lovely. And uh, was, uh, Royal Highness was there and it was a fantastic night. The dream now, yeah. straight after that, was lockdown. Yeah, I, 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 inappropriately was compelling, but what the film does do, to my mind, so your speech when I saw it back in Belfast four or five years ago, that compelled us to do something at Bell and & Company. And the film compels you as, uh, because it's still, it's still it's still that uh, sort of taboo subject, no matter what's going on in the world. Yes, everybody's aware the horrific stuff that's, uh, that occurs to children here, but the film further compels you to A, be aware of it, and B, if you can, do something about it. I think that's very important. I know that's very close to your heart in terms of the work you do with the NSPCC. Mm-hmm. It was uh, really, really what I wanted from the film was a little bit more than just telling people another and a brief abuse story. What I really wanted was to open the debate again such that people... Mm-hmm. Uh, the mental uh, struggle that comes from, and the mental damage that comes from a physical abuse, and wrap mm. together. Um, I think people are able to clearly get over physical things. Mm. In that moment of physical violence, your mind shifts, your mind alters, and as a consequence, your interaction with everybody throughout your life takes on a different colour, a different hue. Yes. What you do, you can consider your existence to be a um, a never-ending nuclear bomb that has a huge shelf life and affects many people who you love dearly throughout their life to the extent that, you know, you, you... generally cause more damage than you ever do good. I finally reached a point where I managed to cross over that line and start to uh, uh, compensate people. But I wanted this film to be an all-encompassing story that showed all the multifacets of it, not just the childhood Mm. thing, the minor part, but all the other horrors that you inflict on others during the course of your life, such that people out there might be able to refer to it and say, ah, now I understand why the person I live with, Mm. I knew my brother, my sister, my father, whatever it might be, were the way they were. There are no excuses, and I don't believe that you should hide behind it, which I did for a large number of years. Stepping out from behind it, I think, is important. And not and, and not expecting others to make excuses for you, which is what many people did for me. Um, luckily, um, I've got this uh, stick insect of a woman who was bulletproof and stuck with me through everything. And um, I'm immensely grateful. Just so that everybody knows, that's the lovely Vanessa that, that demonstrates that David's batting way above his average, just for reference. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, but no, known to me as whack-a-mole, uh, no matter what I did, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop a standing back up. Could shake the woman off. Say, from the film, the one I think you did, I did get, and it's where it did show uh, where, it's a bit, 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 bit rude here, you were a car crash as a young man. And it was it's how it did affect your early adulthood, which was depicted in the film. And it's, uh, I think that's, it, that's important because, the, 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 as you say, the psychological effect back to the time life of nuclear waste, as it were, you, you, that's very hard to, if, if you, you can't even understand it, you, you don't know where it's coming from, I'm sure. When's it going to run the end? That would be the thing as well in, in, the, in the backdrop. Yes, I mean, I, I left, my teenage years were a mess, but I kept that very much under my own hat. But when I joined Goldman Sachs very early in my career, almost my first job, I was young and I, was, I felt invincible. But in a, in a sense that was not, uh, not conceited, I just didn't care, frankly, whether I lived or yeah. not. So I wandered yeah. into that job. 
uh, of taking huge amounts of risk for Goldman Sachs. And I was able to do it willy-nilly. Others would freak out. I was able to do it without any effort at all. Did the film depict that correctly, Dave? Because you nearly looked dangerous. We tried to. We tried to depict it as someone who just really was always pushing the boundaries. And I was. Uh, But I did it because I didn't feel the fear. Because Uh, when you've been to such a place... It's hard to feel threatened by numbers on a piece of paper, Uh Uh, whereas I watched others around me suffer immeasurably by the the, the impact, the threat of losing their job. I I didn't care whether I lost my life. I was going to say the emotion of fear was almost like dragged out of you, as it were, sort of thing. I I, I grew to fear things. That's the irony. As I got better, as I got more human, as as I started to understand that I didn't want to lose it, and there was a point in the film that depicts that turning point where I get stopped from doing something ludicrous to myself, um, I realized then I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to let what had happened to me yes. get, get me anymore. As I say in my speech, yeah. I didn't want to hide behind it like a shield. I was going to use it as a weapon. And in that moment, I turned it when I sat in that police cell, I turned my life around or I made a decision not to let it affect me anymore. Yes. Uh, yeah, there hasn't been a clear sailing as it was clearly depicted, but eventually you reach a point where you, you feel that you put it behind you and you think about it every day, but it doesn't have that uh, huge steel lead blanket, doesn't, doesn't alight on you anymore. You're able to walk, walk and look through it. And then, then, then it shows, Dave, how, how that sort of uh, pivots, as you were, as I used that trendy phrase earlier, into your, uh, I know, belittled and said efforts with NSPCC, but your work with the NSPCC. Again, pulled me up on this because we're, we're relying on a couple of facts on uh, on the internet. That, and I know you've climbed Everest five times, David. Is it five times? Five times. Charity. Uh, yeah. And, and in terms of be a bit crass about money, raised over one and a half million so far for the MSPCC. Direct fundraising. Yeah, they're the emails which I've sent out to many all my long-suffering contacts list. Yeah. <laughs> I knew the word suffering was coming there. <laughs> yeah, if you add uh, up the speeches and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I will say, just so, I think you know, it's not blowing smoke here. It's amazing when we do. You've kindly come to Belfast twice to support us in our efforts, and you pick up your own tab, which is a measure measure of the man. You, you know, it's we could have obviously organised hotel and everything else, but you get there, turn up in your well-worn dinner suits and. And, uh, uh, turn up a bit of a brilliant and then the recent one you up and down box hill 40 times yeah so if I was uh, brave enough I'd show you my toes but uh, yeah I did it 40 times uh, the charity came to me it was a little bit of a half-baked idea I admit and uh, but not me they're, they're planning on this one and we've had conversations right. about it but yeah it was an idea of under lockdown do a climb raise some money for the charity of any description they asked me to front it up and so I said okay I'll try and do an Everest distance and so I knew I I had Box Hill near me, which is 214 metres, and I divided 8850 by 214, and it came up with 39.5, so I said, I'll climb the thing 40 times. And I said... Is that, the, is that the hill that was used in the Olympics, the cycle, one of the cycle events? Yeah, but on yeah. the back side of it, there's a set of stairs, which is like pretty much 50 degree stairs. So you didn't go up the road, you just went up the stairs. Stairs up Hard, hard, hard. And so I set off at midnight. And uh, I finished at literally midday on the dot. I didn't plan it to be 12 straight hours. I thought it was going to be 13. But what, what got me was coming down. Uh, yeah. my, my poor old toes. I've lost every toenail off, every, oh, yeah. off my feet. Yeah, they're all... So, so you're going for the haircut. You're not bothering with the uh, pedicure today. <laughs> Even the pedicure, it wouldn't go nearly feet, I'm afraid. 
<laughs> we, we're doing so, David. On the, on the back of this, there's, a, there's another uh, guy I listen to quite extensively, a man called David Goggins. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. See, he had, he had a, a, a terrible childhood and threw himself into the, the, the SEAL uh, um, uh, battalion in, in the US Navy. And he does an event. We picked it up, Noel, myself, and two other, uh, D'Amelia and Iona in the office. And it's not Box Hill by any stretch. But every four hours, you've either got to run or yomp four miles mm-hmm. for 48 hours. You've got 12 at it, so that's the thing. So the younger ones be fitter than me, I know they're going to be absolutely incredibly hard work when they get sleep deprivation. I think there's going to be all, all sorts of toys going to come out of the pram. But it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. We just picked up. We had jo- Joanne McMaster in the other day, and she's changed the name to the power of four because she wants to take it back to the fact that every contact within SPC costs four pounds, so four, 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 four. 48. So we've got the brilliant timetable where we're doing everything. An hour after we finish, the big words in, in, in large letters are pop. So it's, uh, but we're off on that. The so it's, it's not a box hill, and hopefully our toenails will survive. But uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're doing our wee bit there. So, uh, so we'd turn on David then if we could have it to your professional career. So you're the CEO of the Gold Council. And when we were fortunate enough to have dinner with you when you came over to Belfast there, you gave me a bit of a backdrop as to what the Gold Council does. But for our, uh, uh, hopefully, both our listeners, um, you could tell us a bit more about the gold counts and their role in today's world. Because gold is obviously up there. It's the, it's the safety, it's the bellwether, it's whatever it is. But your role in the gold council, what the gold council does, can you give us a bit of a backdrop to that, please? Yeah, sure. Well, um, uh, the World Gold Council is the market representative body, essentially, for all the main miners in the world. And there are about 30 to 35 main gold miners from Barrett at one end right the way down to Hummingbird at the other end. There's small ones, China, all globally based. So basically, I'm responsible for making sure I represent them, all the CEOs, their money, Mm -hmm. and I make sure that the gold that comes out of the ground from the mine goes to the correct refiners, the right standards, it goes to the right uh, contractors, goes to jewelers and comes out the other end in gold bars. Um, And any form of gold that you'd like, whether it be investment, jewelry or anything, I'm responsible for. Um, a, a couple with that, the World Gold Council back in 2003 invented what was a gold-backed ETF, Exchange Traded Fund. And they, they did it, frankly, on a whim all those years ago, 2003. But within a month, it became the largest uh, ETF in the in the world with assets under management around about $80 billion. Right. Um, the assets under management declined down to 29 28 uh, billion and when I took over it was 28 billion and this was uh, January 2019 we now as of last Friday went through 87 billion again largely through virtue of the fact that we are doing two things one people as you rightly say like buying gold as a hedge against other investments and we can come on to that later and secondly we under under my leadership are getting out in front of institutions um, many of the main institutions whether it be Goldman Sachs through the BlackRock you name them we've got a set team now which are built in each center around the globe right. explaining why you should have gold as part of a balanced portfolio because it acts as a risk mitigator a diversifier 
it actually has a calming influence on the fund as well. And over time, really does actually improve returns of a, a normally balanced fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, a lot of institutions have not either un- have, have understood that in the back of their mind, but lo- uh, most of them have not been allowed to invest in gold in any form because of the capital implications of holding the product. The product is technically risky compared to other products, for instance, foreign exchanges that say US dollar swaps or treasury bonds. And the reason because of that, the reason it's like that way is because the structure of the London OTC over the counter market, the manner in which you can buy and sell physical gold is so antiquated, so backward, you need a DeLorean to go and figure it out. It's really, really poor. So um, I was very lucky that I blundered into this role, essentially, with a wealth of experience on how to deal with that capital world. And as I was being interviewed to be employed, the the then chair of the World Gold Council said to me, look, we think we need to get in front of these institutions. How do we do it? And why why hasn't it been done in the past? And coming from Credit Suisse at the time, I knew full well that the reason we didn't invest in gold trading and stuff was because it was too expensive to trade our return on capital was too low. So we parked the money elsewhere. So I knew I had to solve that conundrum. And now I'm chair of the Bank of England Precious Metals Working Group. Uh, I'm also on the main Bank of England board as well. And I'm uh, one of my strands is to reform that market to such an extent that it has high layers of trust and transparency. And as a consequence, slowly these institutions, the capital requirements, or the risk comes down, the capital risk comes down, and they will slowly invest in oh, gotcha. the So it's, 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 still, it's still the physical element. It hasn't, if you look at all the different uh, financial products and derivatives out there, they're quite easily backed by stock. Is it still an element of it about the physicality of gold and how you deal with that as well? Yes, I in mean, terms of storage, uh, yeah, mo- most of the capital uh, requirements. Yeah, m- most of the capital restrictions are imposed on the physical elements of gold, on the physical side of gold. And ETF is an exchange traded fund; it's listed, so it actually carries no yeah. no capital requirements. But anything physical is hard. And so, if you think ETFs are only one to two percent of that gold market, you see that the main problem sits with the physical stuff. Yes. As, as an aside, our ETF is fully gold backed. Literally, yep. Yep. So we have 100,000 gold bars with HSBC. It's a quite a remarkable amount of gold bars when you see it. I've been there. It's quite stunning to see. Um, but, yes, trying to reform that market. As an example, if I could try without, without blinding everybody, the London foreign exchange market keeps a record of every single trade going back 20 years. Simply put. So at any, at any time, you can go back and test how the market responded over a stress period, whether it be 2008, whether it be something else, whether it be COVID in the future. Mm-hmm. You can go back and have a look. For some reason, the gold market in London kept no records until the beginning of 19. Beggars belief, doesn't it? Incredible. So when the Baal authorities, and for those of your listeners have heard of the Baal 3, Baal 2, Baal 3 regulation, yeah. Yeah. Out, as a consequence of 08, when the Baal authorities tried to take a good look at the gold market, they had nothing to look at. So simply put, they denied gold the, the right to be a high-quality liquid asset, even though it's very liquid. They denied gold to be treated like most other financial products because they had nothing to look at. 
And uh, the net stable funding requirements, which are coming out in the middle of next year, gold's going to get a haircut or a penalty, it's probably the best way to describe it, of 85%. I put that in context. If I wanted to lend, if I was a bank wanting to lend, make a $100 million gold loan just to XYZ company, yeah. I've got to hold $85 million of tier one capital aside yeah. against yeah. that to support the that. return on capital has to be phenomenal to make it worthwhile. I, th- I think I think that the timing of it as well, when you see, I was reading the FT at the weekend and they're talking about the property funds and they're putting in that six-month notice period now because it's easy. But I think and it's almost as though it's not, but it's almost like gold is a new product, isn't it? When you didn't have those records, it's almost trying to say, right, okay, let's bring this into the mainstream as, 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 a, as, a, as a technical and also a physical monetary asset. But you've got that backdrop of people want that liquidity, don't they, as well? And if they, yeah. that's, that's a challenge. It's very, it's very that. There, are two, there are two sides of the world. I think about it, at the top half of the page is the institutional world and gold, and there's the financial products of ETF, mm-hmm. there's physical. But there's also the retail world. For instance, yeah. you, you know, there's you and me wanting to buy the stuff. If you go on the internet and try and buy gold now, you get everything from Sharps Pixley, which is a fantastic, firm who can buy you you can buy gold bars from and store them in safety deposit boxes if you want to at very low cost alternatively at the other end of the spectrum you've got the Arthur Dailies who rock up in 1960 Jags with trilbies yeah. and stuff and have gold in their pockets and, you know you've got everything and so yeah. consequence of that duality the FCA have a warning on the front of their website that said we advise you don't buy gold on the internet because and they use the phrase it's a scam so uh, when I set out to try and reform all this, I had a conversation with um, Andrew Bailey and uh, yes. Andy Haldane <laughs> and Mark at the time and said, um, look, if I manage to sort this out and uh, instill structure and standards and everything, will you take that down? And they said, you do that, we will, absolutely. And so we issued what's called the Retail Gold Investment Principles, <coughs> excuse me, and guidance late last week, which is going to be a global initiative. Um, as Because, as an example, we polled, the World Gold Council polled 18,000 people the other day, members of the public, and 48% of them said they wouldn't buy gold because they didn't trust it. <laughs> that portion of the market that actually yeah. buy gold is a $40 billion a year market. So if I can get the rest of them to trust it, it's yes. an $80 million, if not greater. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a huge body of work, but there's, there's really clearly two sides. There's the institutional, yeah. which has huge assets, far yep. than the retail, but I'm doing the retail as well. And we have offices in London, New York, uh, Mumbai, Delhi, Beijing, Shanghai, and Singapore. And uh, I was rotating regularly between them until someone took my plane away. <laughs> Not your plane. Not the plane. A plane. <laughs> that's, that's a brilliant backdrop then. That's, that gives a that's brilliant angle the way that's put up because it, it, it still does have slightly there. It's back, back to Michael Caine, you know, just take the bloody doors off. You know, it's, that's, it still goes back to gold, doesn't it? So it's just, it's, it could be, but it's out there and it's in there. What, uh, so that, that's sort of uh, the gold council. Thank you very much for that backdrop. Then, then it's a, a little bit that I'd like to discuss is obviously with the COVID-19. And the effect then, not just on gold, I'm particularly keen on your insight in terms of where we could possibly go as an economy here. But with gold, it, in my simple brain, I think it's gone through $2,000 an ounce now. I don't know the actual price at the minute. It is the go-to. Is that, is that, it's that strange anomaly, isn't it? They're talking about there about Arthur Daly's and the FCA coming up with what they're saying. But it's still the go-to. 
to uh, safety net, if you like, when, when things start to cut up rough in the economy. So how do you see gold sort of, not, you, you can't predict, but how, how what is, you have research guys, so how do you see gold sort of going as an asset? Well, we have a, a, a unique situation, and I know that's a much used phrase, but this really is. In 35 years of trading, I've never seen anything quite like this. No. Just, as a, just to rewind a little, historically, areas of the world have been doing well where other areas have been doing badly. We've always had this areas like the US has been the, the powerhouse of the world or China's mm. been the powerhouse, et cetera, and we, we've sort of shared that responsibility around us. And so central banks and governments have been able to exchange their debt. Mm. Governments have been able to lend to others with impunity and others have needs to borrow with impunity, et cetera, et cetera. And this has been a free-for-all of passing this money through capital markets. But what's happened recently, obviously with COVID, was almost simultaneously the entire world shut down their production. Mm -hmm. Essentially, their their revenues, whether it be tax revenues of any shape, died a death overnight. But at the same time, simultaneously, they trebled their debt, most of them, Mm -hmm. in the same moment. So every every country, irrespective of where it was in its cycle, was level set, and they all did the same thing. So we're all perfectly in sync at the moment. The problem is that these governments, who normally sold and exchanged their debt to finance their deficits and surpluses and shortfalls, and all have deficits that have trebled. So they're all looking to someone to fund it. But of course, there's no one there. Mm -hmm. So what they've had to rely on is their own central banks to print the money. Mm -hmm. And that is unique. And that that is why the dollar has been falling. Currencies are largely being undermined and being debased, which is always a criteria for um, people to buy gold. And literally, without exaggerating, the world is slowly meandering towards a situation where it's seeing this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And gold literally becomes almost the only alternative mm-hmm. it, 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 to some, and increasingly so. And it's in a slow rise at the moment, but I, I can see a situation when the world wakes up. Uh, hypothetically, if one country doesn't start suddenly being recovering quickly and becoming the powerhouse that drags everybody out of that malaise, yeah. it's almost like a musical chairs moment where you all stare around, you all know you've printed as much money yeah. as you can, and no one's going to pay it, what do you do? And no one's got an answer for that, and I haven't either. No, well, it goes back to, you mentioned 2008 there, and I was fortunate enough uh, at that time to be to have the ear of John Goodfellow, who was the chairman of Skipton Building Society, who's also chairman of the Building Society. John's uh, passed away now, bless him. But he was a straight-speaking Glaswegian, and he, he gave the scenario. Then the situation was this. It was, he said it was all about wooden dollars. Okay, so it was pretend money, uh, and there was pretend money in the morning in Tokyo. That pretend money then came to London, then it went to New York, then it went around to Tokyo. You know, so I said, where did it go wrong? He said, some bastard, and that was the actual language he used, had the temerity to ask for the money back. And he said, and that was it. He said, when you get major banks, or I think you may have mentioned somebody's name earlier, when you've got a to-do list on a Monday morning, must at that time find $12 billion, it wasn't a great start to the week. And it, it, go, it, goes, it goes from there and you say, right, that's where that panned out. Now we're trying to look, like you said, that we're taking on literally trillions of debt in the US, trillions of uh, debt, and we, we won't be far off, I'm sure, by the time Rishi's finished. It's, and we're doing it on the backdrop or the uh, excuse 
excuse or you like the ability to do it at zero or possibly negative interest rates. But how how long can that go on? Do you think how long? And it's a, it's a tough question. But when will somebody go? Tell you what, no. Well, that's the that's the scary thing. I don't think anybody knows that question. Mm-hmm. Technically, you can keep printing this stuff, and the balance sheet of the central banks can keep expanding. But we all know something will will trigger a fear. Yeah. Something will go wrong. I think what what will happen, what could happen, is that we do if we get a recovery at some point, you end up with a what's a, a supply shock, where you suddenly get a surge of demand, but because yeah. the supply lines are being so constricted, you get a surge in inflation. If you get a surge in inflation in a scenario like this. Because if you do look around, things are going up in price quite a lot. Fuel, twenty percent since. When to, when to pay for your haircut tomorrow, David? When to pay for your haircut? And if you do, if you do have that, having had the the supply chains restricted because yes. there's half as many people doing stuff because you've got social distancing and stuff like that, but a supply a, a supply shock, you have a demand rapid increase in demand, you're going to get such a quick surge in inflation that the governments are going to have to try and respond to it. The biggest threat to those governments responding to it is to themselves. Mm-hmm. Have to fund their own debt, and Absolutely. the cost of funding their own debt will be so astronomical they'll never be able to pay it off. The best thing mm-hmm. they want is they'll probably let inflation run them because they yeah. can pay their way out of some of the Absolutely. But that's, that's back to your the original question, which is, at what point do we? That does that merry-go-round stop? That giant Ponzi scheme, and I use the word mm-hmm. carefully. But when we're printing our own money to keep ourselves going. And we're not actually, every central bank around the world is doing literally the same thing at the same time. Who calls time on that? Absolutely. It's quite, it's quite an amazing scenario. Yeah. I've never known no, that, that, that's, the, that's the big, that's the potential big panic. And you say there's so many mitigating factors, you know, the desire for inflation from sub-governments, which they'd never admit to so they can get help control the debt. Somebody said the other day, and David, you're, you're the same sort of age as me, it was a bit like when you used to work in the city, you part your package, you got some lunch vouchers. And when you first started the work, your 25p lunch voucher, that was quite handy. By the time you finished work, it was a, does somebody want these? It's just almost like too much trouble to keep in your pocket. And it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it started off as nearly useful in the end of the crappy bits of paper you might as well stick in recycling. I think we, we're sort of unfortunately headed towards that thing. So hopefully not. By the way, when we do this thing, we, we try not to come from a negative angle. We're just trying to say, we're, we're trying to put across what is what could happen here. It's not, definitely not, we're, I think you're, you're in terms of your, your uh, demeanour, you're a positive person, I'm a positive person, but the backdrop is trying to work through to see how it works because it's, it's, it's nearly, nearly, nearly impossible here. So as a commodity, David, gold, so we've touched on it slightly there. If I wanted to get, invest, get involved in investing in gold, I'm not asking for financial advice, do I? What, what are the options? So you've got the physicality, a couple of, you know, whatever it is, uh, uh, some jewellery or a piece of ammo. I don't, what would a bar of gold cost, Dave, roughly? I don't even know what a gold, bar of gold weighs. Uh, I, well, they come in all shapes and sizes from, from one gram you can buy in India right the way through to how big you go. The, the standard bars that you see in the Bank of England are 400 ounce for some reason, but uh, right. the main decimal one in the rest of the world is a 12 and a half kilogram big bar. But yep. really the most tradable in the Eastern world, the increasingly popular, is the one kilogram bar. 
Uh, and that's, uh, it's, uh, for instance, the, the 400 ounce bars are around about $600,000 at the moment, as an example. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, sorry, so the options are, what, could you just talk us through if you want to get involved in, in, yes, in I mean, like, you, you, can, you can buy, you can buy physical gold in, in many places, well-trusted places, and, uh, I can't literally tell you those places. No. It's not within my remit. But there are places, There are, I did mention one earlier, there's a shop on St. James's, you can buy one. Uh, and well trusted, I know I know everything about that shop, you can do that. And basically you can put that in a safety deposit box, you've literally taken your cash out of the bank, you're transferring it to gold, you put it in a safety deposit box, and the fees for keeping something in a safety deposit box are de minimis, really small. And yes. that's what most people do. Um, the alternative, obviously, is the ETF, the Exchange Traded Fund, which you can buy and have part of your pension, or you can have part on. You can buy it on a, on an iPhone now, and yeah. you literally, you know, like um, AJ Bell, for instance, you can go in there yeah. and buy ETF, and you can put as much as you want or as little as you want to do, and it trades like a future. But mm -hmm. the good thing about, so for instance, and I've got to say, for instance, um, GLD, which is our ETF, that huge one I told you about. Is ours is gold backed, and yes. you have to make sure it's gold backed. I mean that literally down to yeah. the micro, micro, microgram. Your gold is accounted for in a vault somewhere, and you can yes. redeem it. You can redeem it. There are futures that you can trade as well, which are more speculative instruments, which are, of course not gold backed, but you can deliver on these things at certain points in the future. But very, very, very few, less than one percent of futures ever ever deliver into physical yes. gold. So, you know, if you go to China, for instance, China, Chinese people buy gold culturally as an investment. When you go into it, which has amused me when I first saw it, when you walk into a jeweler's store and they are amazing, they're football pitches. On the wall are Bloomberg screens with the gold price. And so right. when you walk up to a piece of jewelry, uh, if you buy a, a bangle, a very simple bangle with little work in it, that you get charged the gold price plus 5%. It's flat rate. So the market right. is a fixed, fixed thing. So yeah. you watch the price and you can go back and sell it for the gold price minus 50%. And that bid offer spread is what yeah. you do inside shops, which is quite interesting for us. Yeah. And uh, another example is um, the more intricate it is, the bigger the markup, but the markup is limited. So you know where you are all the time. So they use it as something to adorn themselves, as do the Indians, but as a physical investment in the future, an alternative to money, which they love. The, old, the other side of the world, us, we tend to embrace the institutional investment. Yes. But we don't really do the retail thing. I mean, why rush off to buy my wife a piece of jewelry for, uh, throw a number out there, a thousand pounds? The real jewelry value of that is probably 10. Yeah. But I'm buying a name on it in business. Yes. And yeah. I, I think there is a there is scope for the Western world from a retail perspective, individuals like mm -hmm. you and I, to walk in and look at that as a straight gold price. Okay. Yes. This bangle is weighs fifty grams, it's worth four thousand quid, etc. And then you you can your wife can wear it and you you look at it in those terms. Good yeah. luck get away from her again, of course. <laughs> or, or you put it into a, a safety deposit box and you slowly transfer your wealth into physical gold, which is what uh, we're increasingly seeing yeah. in this in this this period, the, the pandemic period. I expect um, two things. If, if we do find a vaccine, God willing, if we do, I expect to see gold decline. 
Not much, because as if we we have been doing our job correctly, we've got in front of enough institutions to make it endemic, make it a fixed part, almost like a robo fund. Yeah, funds you can have yeah. the boxes you can allocate to. Eventually, gold will be one of the boxes that will be grayed out because it'll be a, an implicit part of a portfolio. Uh, because if I've managed to squeeze down the capital reasons, yeah, and, and, and it's getting balanced in the portfolio, isn't it? So if you, if you typically, if your shares do take a hit, your pension sit, then the gold will come back and give it some sort of redress and balance. It's kind of a cyclical effect. Yeah. This great diversification and a balancing item, and interestingly enough, it also reduces your VAR, your value at risk, uh, your your volatility. When, when we see some of the some of the financial products out there as well, when you see them, you know how, how loosely, how far away they are from the, the ultimate asset when you see sort of stuff that's going on there. We, we, and you, you, we're seeing it in the finance market now as well, where you've got uh, the peer-to-peer funders, sort of, not, not in any way decrying, but the number of types of peer-to-peer finance, people paying the tax on peer-to-peer finance and stuff like that. And it, it, it's, it's that sort of thing where it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a type of lending. It's a bit like some of the financial products are a bit edgy, not not the peer-to-peer, but that are out there, you know, the d- derivatives. So it's a type of fi- type of financial product, but gold is there, as you say, it's almost like a, a mainstay, isn't it, if it's, if it's treated it, and, it and given the respect it deserves now. It's been around longer than anything else. Um, there, there are also... Uh, um, uh, apps now and companies now, again, can't mention mm-hmm. names, who actually have physical back gold that you buy and is kept at a vault, trusted vault, but that you can exchange via Barclay card. So if you walk in, you want to buy a Starbucks, right. it'll convert an equivalent gold and the gold gets sold and translates into dollars on your app. Right. That's coming yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's literally you're buying and selling with gold. Wait, 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 gathering. Sees, uh, sees you tap. Uh, but it's being transferred out of your gold holdings versus your bank account, which has got pounds. That's quite cool. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I've got one of those ones where you round up. I'd be interested in that. Seriously, we can gather up over time. Yeah, if, Mrs. if Mrs. Bell gets hold of the credit card, we'll be very wealthy in gold terms by the end of the year, that's for sure. So the advantage of, that, of having a, 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 an account like that is that you're taking an implicit view on it becomes a speculative instrument too. Just take, yes. you can take your entire salary or entire chunk of money that you want and shove it into gold and trade and spend off that. But at the same time, in the background, of course, it's going up or it's going down in the back of your yeah. mind. Whereas the money sitting in your, your bank account, largely speaking, is earning nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. So on that, we do, you, you do a general gesture there. We, do, we did a bit of a chart. We, sorry, gold, where you thought that'd go. So we were talking to a, a, a city commentator the other day, and we were talking about the recession and the recovery. So your friend, Mr. Haldane, there, I was quite rude about it the other day, which I have to apologise now that now that I know you know him. But he was talking about a V-shaped recovery. And then it's a bit, my thing was that how far back does it come back up the V? Uh, we, we've adopted, rightly or wrongly, the swoosh. We have to say Nike just in case they claim it. So the swoosh. And then there was a, there was a quite a worrying one. I don't know if you saw it, the K recovery the other day. Where the the affluent are okay, but the poorer get poorer, as it, as is often the way. But in this particular instance, where the economy is going, and, and unfortunately, what, what looks like to be pretty high levels of unemployment here, um, well, in, in terms of where you sit, in, in and your experiences, David, how how do you have any idea on timeline on how this is going to work? This recession, it's very hard, I know, because it's a completely different, uh, completely different type of recession. The world stops; it's never done that before. It stopped in its tracks, all stop. But what are you, what are your sort of views, as it were, how, how you see any form of recovery here? 
Uh, yeah, Andy's a friend, but I have to admit that when I saw him push the V-shaped recovery so early, I was amazed. I didn't, I didn't concur with that. Um, he's got, he's obviously a very, very smart guy, but I think personally, I think that's over, well over optimistic. I don't think it allows for what is going to happen at the end of October and mm-hmm. six months as we go into winter. Now, I think everything changes if you get a vaccine that works, obviously. But that notwithstanding, I'd be much more inclined to think about a, a U-shaped, a longer-bottomed recovery. Less linear, more like that. Because I think two things will happen. If we don't get a vaccine, I think eventually we will get bored with this. Yes. I literally think we will get bored with it. And I think a few things are, and this is my personal opinion entirely. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think think this, this, uh, uh, we are far more close to herd than we we, we know. Yes. In March, I know people who had it back in December, January. I travel to China all the time. And I just do not, I think something really odd happened to it. As a, as a world. Uh, if you look at the numbers in aggregate, they compare to car crashes, they compare to malaria, they compare to all other things. That Unfortunately, we, to suicides. That, that we live with on a day. Suicides are way up there. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm still a little bit like baffled by what has happened here, really, to be honest. I accept what it is, and I accept, and I do not want to demean a value of a human life, but at the same Absolutely. time, something really strange happened to us, and I think largely through social media and um, a, a, um, a generation of politicians who listen to their audience rather than lead their audience. And yes. we led into this peculiar situation where you don't... Um, argue and fight about it. I think the governments did a very good job of scaring the, scaring people witless such that we uh, you know we don't bounce back very quickly. And so I think that over time, and I don't know what that time is, I really don't, but notwithstanding a, a, a vaccine, I think we will slowly claw our way back a bit because we will literally get bored to death and start to push back against it slowly. Mm-hmm. One thing that really worries me and, I, and why I screamed at the TV at Boris back in March was uh, in my career, I've, I've got a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. I've got an awful lot of things right, but you know my biggest problem in my trading career? I was always too early. Yeah. I get it right, put the trade on, be timed out, and then it would happen. Yeah. So it's equally as bad as getting it wrong. Now, yeah. I'm not claiming any skills here. No, no. But I do worry that a generation of children and I call 18 to 28 years old, are going to wake up very soon and go, what on earth have you done to us? Absolutely. Because they're, 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 the, they're, the, they're going to be the guys who can take the redundancies in the main here. Absolutely. That concerns me. I mean, you've got the... Uh, do you do much? I've got a question. Do you do much on social media? I don't know you, you do a bit of Twitter. I, I only use it for the charity. I don't use it for yeah. charity. But, it, but it, it's the how quickly how they can create uh, storms, if you like, and literally about nothing. And they get uh, and it. But, it, but it, there, there are people on that. I'm doing something on it next week. Strange enough, I'm saying that the people that in, they're in the main on Twitter contribute the square root of bugger all generally in life. 
you know, the journalists want to be superstars and hopefully get on Strictly and all this out to carry on rather than doing their job. With that backdrop, and I think in terms of the where where the recession is going to go, it's going to uh, next year's going to be very feral. I see it in terms of the business because it's it's, it's a massive unraveling. Going back to what you were saying about commercial buildings in our chat before, commercial, you know, it, it, the high street is crazy. I was in Leeds yesterday. It was like a ghost town. The the the, the lovely through fair there by Harvey Harvey Nicks. Half the sh- and the, the top top shops were empty uh, or closed during COVID nineteen, where everything else was open. I think, like I said, I think what it be done to the economy is is going to be crippling. But my fear is um, the, the the younger people, like you say, and take it back to the NSPC. David, we were speaking to Joanne uh, McMaster there the other day, and she was saying the, the worst thing was when it's when it started, it was quiet, which. Then it's BCT, no, it's not good news if it's quiet. Now they're getting a flood of, flood of calls and it, it's, it goes back. And I know you've more than reinforced this. This is where the NSPCC is so important. The effects this is going to have on various bits of all of our young people is going to be pretty, pretty hard, pretty hard to take. I, I still, and this is, you know, you have to be careful in the way this sounds, but again, taking care. I understand what it what it's like to lose people in, in the family. Mm-hmm. I get that. But when you look at the way we have reacted as a country to 0.057% of the population, and you put that in context with all the other things that are killing people on a day-to-day basis, whether it be cancer, malaria, diabetes, car crashes, you can go on forever. You know, 25, 30,000 people die a day of starvation in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. What the way we reacted to such a low number of deaths, and that's where it gets a bit touchy with people because they don't accept any death. That's where that's where we've made the mistake, in my opinion. We need to move on, tighten up our pants, and get on with life before there's too much damage. I fear our politicians and our government don't have that at the forefront of their mind. I think they're starting to wake up to the repercussions of their actions, which they will largely say they were they had no choice. I disagree on that. I think mm-hmm. the choices, they just didn't like those choices. Uh, but I do think that we're very likely to have a whole generation, if we're not very, very careful, marching the streets for six months. Absolutely. And, and a whole lot of social disorder on the horizon when, they, when the money dries up, the sun goes. Yes. And, uh, they really do get that, that moment when they realise their future isn't a future. No. Because we, 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 something, again, we're going to be talking next week because we're continually told how weak everybody is. We, as, as humans, we're not weak, but we're, we've been, I, I think we get to a stage, especially younger people, saying to old men just wittering away, we're not. But it, it's that thing where people have been battered to tell them how useless we are. I think a lot of people's defences are down. New, good news is not news. It doesn't make anywhere. There's, uh, I think it's Professor Carroll on there. He's, he's quite good on the stats every day. It's yeah. compared to last week and everything else. And he, he's trying to live that. But the amount of stick that man's getting for dare to say there could be some good news in this, he's been trolled. Isn't that that's, that's, that's a really incredible, in, very good point. That it, it, I don't understand why a few months ago we had 2,000 deaths a day, uh-huh. and now we have. Uh, now they've dropped that, and now it's about the infections. And infections have risen by 100%, you suddenly hear. Yes. Um, they've gone from 1,000 a day to 10, 
and they mm -hmm. go from 10 to 20. And the media report that is a 100% increase with no absolutely. to the absolutes or the nominals. It's all, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm bewildered as to why they're incentivized to do that. Where's, where's their upside to, to report it in such manner? And why is there no reference to the fact that, um, you know, the death rates have fallen? And why is nobody ever telling us or speaking out loud about the fact that most of the intensive cares have no COVID patients in them. And all those lovely, fantastically well-built emergency hospitals we did mm -hmm. sat idle. We went yeah, from, we've got one in Harrogate here. We it's not been used in anger at all. Yeah, we went from the idea of, of running the economy alongside the infection to, oh, yep. God, we can't have any of it. Yeah which is clearly untenable. And now they've got to try and paint themselves out of a corner and they've got to try and tell the world that uh, the, you know, the bubonic plague they told us it was, isn't. And please go back to work. The one thing that can come out of this, from me, from my perspective, is I suddenly realised that working from home does work. My entire yeah. team have, uh, have worked brilliantly. And the, the, the Freudian... Thing, you know, that, that smirk everybody used to give you when you said you're having you working from home today. They, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's no longer going to occur. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm really facing the prospect of never commuting to London again right now. My commuting will be flying when that yeah. comes back because I have to. And I've got five centres I can rid myself of. Um, but, you know, maybe we, we congregate for, as I think it was termed the other day in the newspaper, a hug-a-thon once a month where we all Yeah, go absolutely. Yeah. Very, very important. We, we allowed one hug when we got back to the office. We were doing uh, three, two, three, three days in the office, two, and there's a road to there so you can spread out and do what you're going to do. The, the other thing that, uh, from a table, we, we've been doing quite a bit because I say mo most of our clients are SME. We're, we're taking a two-fold approach. To them. So they come with us with debt pressures, whatever form they take. Uh, but what we what we're suggesting they go and do, they go and check the validity of their business in today's world, which sounds very patronising, but with uh, it's becoming more apparent. For instance, gyms, uh, and there are quite a few gyms were sold on franchise models, which are fairly tight. You had to go and get the footfall to make sure you kept your numbers up. Their numbers up. when it goes down like that. It, where's the validity in your business? And then yeah. so to go and check the validity. Uh, one guy's already got, and he's doing okay. So we've got his dollar per debt to deal with, if you like, various issues there. He's uh, reinvented himself, for one of a better phrase, as a personal trainer online. Doesn't need four walls and yeah. 200 grand a kit and uh, franchise fees. And you know, when it, when it worked, it worked. When it didn't. It's a bit like the airline industry. I think Warren Buffett said it is not a vaccine by the middle of next year. That's it for aerospace. Well, I went to the gym for the very first time this morning, and I was, I was confronted with a peculiar situation. I think it's important. The machines were alternated. They put a cross on every other machine, as an example. Yet those machines were still one and a half meters apart, even, though, oh, right. even if they used them all. Yeah. So I came out to the manager I know well, and I said, uh, how come you've put a cross on every other machine? He said, so I can maintain the distancing. I said, but your distancing with them is within the limits. And he said, yeah. no, two meters. And I said, the limit is one meter minimum. No, sorry. Anymore. He said, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's some information. We'll put it down in information overload. Yeah, it's funny, you know. And I said, your job should be squeezing those rules like a Formula One team to, lives to stay viable. Not, not being... Not being um, authoritarian, which is uh, another interesting aspect. Mm -hmm. That's going, isn't it? How many people but, have left it, leapt into the opportunity to exert? Uh, 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 
I got I got a mild bollocking from a lady the other day because I was off. I wasn't standing on my circle in being here. This is this is sign of how I spend my weekends. But because I, I wasn't right on the so excuse me, sir, excuse me. Yes, could you just get if it was six inches away, it'd been a long distance, but it did this. Anyway, let's get off that. Right, Mr. Mr. Tate, we're gonna let you on the set, but we have to check that you are a human being and not a robot. So I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions here. If you can, one word, one or two word answers. Okay, so Apple or Android? Apple. All day, everything Apple? Everything, I'm afraid. Once you're locked in, you're, it's like a virus. You're hooked. You're hooked. Uh, two social media platforms you would use in the main. I know you say you do it mainly for charity. Two social media platforms yeah. you would uh, use. Yes, it's uh, Facebook and Instagram, I guess. Right, okay, good. The sport of your choice? Formula One. Very good. You watched yesterday, I take yeah, it. I'm, I'm an addict, I can't help it. He may have his statins away, isn't he? <laughs> you, you wouldn't I, want to see him in your wing mirror, would you? I, 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 I tried to drive cars back in the day, and I'm, I, I was reasonably okay, but those guys are beyond belief, so I know how hard it is. I thought you were going to say I drive my car like that now, and I was just going to say, well, cut that bit out, David, just to protect you from the police there. The last time you took your plane up, I know you've got a wee plane there. <laughs> Yesterday, I flew to Latuke with Vanessa. We had lunch on the beach. It was 36 degrees, unbearable, but it was a fantastic flight. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. You didn't get down to Deauville for a bit of racing as well for the full uh, first world problem. No, no, no. It was a lo- lovely day, and it's a 40-minute flight, and, um, you know, we, we go everywhere together. We pack small little bags in the back and off we go. How long did it take to get there, David? It was 45 minutes door to door. And um, um, we're off to Cornwall on Wednesday for two or three days. And uh, yeah, we we, we fly everywhere. Brilliant. Next holiday? Portugal in uh, the, on the 23rd. I'm, I'm defying the COVID rules and just going and worrying about it when I get back. Hopefully I'll have an air bridge. An air bridge, any, or, you, you, or you have nothing else to do for 14 days. That would be, be one well, of the when I get back, I'll be working from home like I am now. It makes no difference. That's okay. cool. Right. Red or white? Red. Wine. Red. Wine. Right. Two. Wine. Oh, sorry. Yes. Wine. White wine. White wine. White wine. Yeah. White wine. Right. 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 A couple of bottles. Of, uh, then two ones I want you to help me with. One, one sorry, one last one. Yeah, I'm your fairy godmother. You're having a dinner party. Who would be the most entertaining guest you'd ask? Not necessarily brain matter, who, who, but it can be. It doesn't matter, but who would? So, for instance, mine would be Billy Connolly. Um... Oh, Dave Mester could be a hoot. The, 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 oh, what's his name? The, um, the the comedian from Car Share names. Oh, Peter Kay. Peter Kay. If I had if I had one guest, I'd like to come. Peter Kay to to. It'd be a great taxi driver as well, wouldn't he? That would be, be such a funny name. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Last one. It's something we we're doing a few of these podcasts now. Is there anyone you suggest we should uh, contact again with the context where we're trying to get cut through the BS, get people who know nearly what they're talking about? Any suggestions? Um, yes, yeah, so Michael Spencer. Correct. Very good. That would be a good one. And right. uh, Michael Spencer. Yes, and uh, an actor, uh, Alice, Alice Petrie. 
Petrie, he was the, the tall guy from the film. The my, my, my boss. I saw him on Sunday brunch. He was very good. Hugely entertaining character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Life and soul of a party. He would give you such fun on this podcast and very smart and a hugely kind friend of mine now. Well, try, yeah, so I can name drop and say, man, Tate said that's cool. Please, I'd be happy to set that one he up. Said, he said you've never rejected anything yet, so we take that's cool. No problem at all. Just, I'm going to leave you, David, but just so I mentioned Dame Esther there in terms of that. She came, when she was in Belfast, she came over to, she was on tour anyway, but she came then, she was telling some lovely anecdotes and she was talking about completely different to the NSPCC. She was saying that she's quite good friends with Joan Collins. And John Collins, uh, so it said uh, Damis was with her one evening. It was husband, whatever it is, but the last one, who apparently is a younger man. And uh, uh, Damis just, just said to her, what about the age gap? And Joan Collins said, if he dies, darling, he dies. <laughs> so on that happy note thank you very much Dave for your time it's brilliant to catch up with you there and keep going with the great work for the NSPCC and brilliant stuff with the Gold Council there bringing it into the 21st century doing my best I might find myself hanging by something under Blackbriars Bridge when one of these uh, gold miners or somebody doesn't like what I'm doing I find myself in a concrete shoes. <laughs> keep, keep, keep moving David you'll be fine keep moving <laughs> right, good luck thanks cool. again David bye bye thank you you've been listening to Real Talk with Terry and the team if you'd like to hear more don't forget to hit that subscribe button and stay updated with our latest episodes <laughs> <laughs>